I don't know, I don't know if this still happens, but I know it happened when I was young. Being a kid, and you were making a promise, but you wanted to find a way that you didn't have to keep it. So what did you do? Cross your fingers. Right, okay. Don't do that, kids. That's stupid. That's wrong. Okay? So somebody would say, man, but you promised. I'd be like, man, I had my fingers crossed. That's like that's going to release you from keeping that promise, right? Or sometimes we'd get sneaky and cross our toes, right? They'd be like, show me your hands. I'm like, but I'm crossing my toes. Like, Take your shoes off. No. Who in the world come up with that, right? I mean, who for the first time said, well, my fingers were crossed? Some people say, oh, well, I didn't know that was a thing. But the concept is that you could lie on purpose just because you had one phalange over the other phalange, up top or on the bottom. It's just weird, right? That's just weird. So then after you did that, they would make you show your hands when you talk. They'd ask if you had your toes crossed, anything crossed, my tongue's crossed, or something like that. And then to make sure that you were telling the truth, we would say this, right? Cross my heart, hope to die. And here you go, stick a needle in my eye. Who come up with that? That's what I'm wondering. I remember there was a Steven Seagal movie. I think it was Under Siege. Terrible movie. Don't watch it. But one of the ways that they actually tortured a guy was they put a needle in his eye. And I'm thinking, that's what that looks like. Yeah, yeah. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Which makes sense, right? No, really, I'm telling you, I drew an X over my heart. I said that I hope to die, if I'm not being honest. And for good measure, you can stick a needle in my eye if I'm lying. That helps, right? It's like lie insurance. Anybody ever you walk around with a needle in your eye? That's... Why do we do this? Why, why did we do this? Or, or why do we do things like this? Because unfortunately, it is possible to not tell the truth. I think it is one of the greatest tragedies of humankind that we cannot tell the truth. It's awful. What do you believe that you see on TV anymore? What do you believe that you see on the news, on the internet? I mean, we don't believe anything anymore except what we choose to believe because we like it. And I guess some people are telling the truth, but generally we have the option and we Don't tell the truth. We lie. Lying liars and the lies that they tell. That's the story of our generation. But it's always been that way. I mean, it really has. I guess people at some time might have been more honest than we are, but I doubt it. Because here's the thing, there's sin in the world. And sin makes us selfish, and selfishness makes us lie. The sad reality is that as human beings, we have the option of lying whenever we choose to. And really, if you think about it, it is a tragedy. It's sad to think that somebody can look at you and choose to purposefully not tell you the truth. And the tragedy of it is that we always have to be aware of that, don't we? Whenever we're talking to somebody, we and they have to make a clear effort to tell the truth. It is so easy to lie or... Similarly, and I would say really the same thing, to not tell the whole truth. 
I'm just not going to, I'm going to choose to not tell you something. Well, that's dishonest as well. Maybe just gloss over a thing or two, especially when it has to do with preserving or helping ourselves. I think I've told you on several other occasions that I just grew up telling lies because it was what got me out of trouble or got me what I wanted. My favorite is that, and y'all have heard me say this before, I told my mom there was an alligator in the bathtub so I could not take a bath. I said that. Like a, like a real live alligator. And I was scared to get in the bathtub because it could hurt me. My mom's like, go take a bath. All right, if the gator gets me, mom, it's on you. It's not on me. And lying becomes a habit. And so now I really have to make sure I'm not just saying something because it's convenient or beneficial to me. It has always been an issue since sin's been in the world. We have to purposefully choose to tell the truth. And Jesus addresses this and a whole lot more in today's passage, which is Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. If you would stand as we hear the God-man speak the Word of God this morning. And I promise you, this is challenging and true. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, even either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let me pray. God, you desire truth and you image forth for us what it is to tell the truth. Jesus, you are the truth. Help us this morning to be people of the truth. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, convict us of our lying lips And recreate us in the image of the truth. Make us more like Jesus in what we say by the power of your Holy Spirit, God. And if there be somebody here this morning that does not know the truth, God, I pray that they would meet him this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. This tough stuff, y'all. Really tough stuff. Now, before we begin to work our way through this passage, we need to glance back over our shoulders since we've been gone for half a month. Sounds crazy. And we need to remember where we are and what brought us here. Um, And I mean like from the beginning of Matthew till now. We started this trek through Matthew after we had done some work in the Old Testament and the intertestamental period. It seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Uh, We had seen the Jewish people looking forward to a coming king. The king who would fill David's eternal throne and bring God's kingdom to the earth. So Matthew wrote his gospel, which is a great front door to the New Testament, by the way. Matthew wrote his gospel to show that Jesus was and is that king. The king that would fill David's throne. God's promised Messiah, the king who would reign forever 
in God's kingdom. We saw his ancestry and his birth, his flight to and from Egypt, and then we fast-forwarded to the launch of his public ministry after his baptism and temptation. And then as we started into chapter 5, we said that it was the first of five major discourses that Jesus gives in Matthew's gospel. And what a doozy it's already been, right? Jesus is showing what his kingdom is and how those in it look counter to the culture around them. We've looked at Jesus' teaching on anger, lust, and divorce. And those were expanding on the statement in verses 17 through 20, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, which said, Jesus saying, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, talking about the law, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is teaching on the full intent of the law that He came to fulfill. And He's showing that true righteousness is not based on outward acts, but rather true righteousness is based on a heart condition that goes on to fill one's life with righteous acts. So we're not doing right. We're not doing good to earn God's favor. We are right with God. So we then live in a way that shows that we are right with God by loving God and loving people. And Jesus is not contradicting the law. Jesus is not annulling or doing away with the Old Testament. can't believe we've got to keep saying that. But we do. But He is instead refuting the simplicity of the rabbinic teachings and traditions that had gutted the law of God and made rules that were man-centered and not God-centered. For righteousness, correct. And he's used three times in our past messages the pattern of you have heard that it was said, but I say to you to show the difference not between the law and what Jesus was teaching, but between the rabbi's teachings and the true intent of God's law. This true intent, this true righteousness continues to be front and center as we look at today's passage. So, verse 33. Again... You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay. So we know that what was said to those of old is Jesus referring to those rabbis teaching, the traditional teaching of the Jewish leaders. And that teaching was spawned from looking at the original Old Testament writing, like we saw in the two examples from the Ten Commandments, don't kill, don't commit adultery, and the one from three weeks ago now, which was pulled from Deuteronomy, give her a certificate of divorce. Okay? Now, today's, you have heard that it was said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, that's nowhere in the Old Testament. You're not going to find that quote anywhere in the Old Testament. Okay? It would be easy to say that the teachers just invented this, but that wouldn't be completely true. Because we see a lot of guidelines in the Old Testament for making and keeping vows or oaths. I'm going to give you four quick examples. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So he's not saying don't take the name of the Lord, but don't do it in vain. 
Okay? Number, I'm sorry, Leviticus 19.12. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Now notice, it doesn't say you shall not swear by my name. It says you shall not do it falsely. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Now catch that. This is Old Testament law. It's not saying don't make oaths. It's saying if you do, keep it. And then Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Now, we can see that the Old Testament teaching was not in any way implying that you should not make vows or oaths at all. There are times when swearing, like I swear, not cuss word swearing. There are times when swearing, oaths, and vows are needed or should be used in God's law. He made that clear. So before we move on, be clear that Jesus isn't teaching in this passage that you should never swear or make an oath. We'll get to that in a minute. And that, but Because that's going to be important going forward. I've always heard and read this, and especially the next verse, as Jesus is saying, I swear is a sin. Well, we didn't say I swear growing up. You would get in trouble for that. I swear. <laughs> swear again. Dang, what happened, you know? And that's not what's going on here, okay? Jesus is attacking the common teaching on swearing, on oaths and on vows, not the practice itself. And what they were teaching was using a conglomeration of these Old Testament passages we read and making special clauses and cases for swearing an oath or a vow. We'll see more of that as we go. But for right now, look again at what he's addressing. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So there's really nothing wrong with that statement in and of itself. But it's not what they're saying that is wrong, but how they are using it and and how they are using what is said in their everyday lives. Remember, we said before that their way was to boil the law or command down to its easiest and most basic so that it would be easier to keep. You shall not kill. So if you don't kill anybody, you're good. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's about anger. That's what the heart of that law is about. You You shall not commit adultery. So if I don't have relations with somebody besides my spouse, I'm fine. And Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with her. So they would boil it down to divorce, right? Just give her a certificate. As long as you give her the paper, you're fine. And they missed the heart of the law. So what have they done with this teaching on swearing? Here's where it gets real interesting. We have to jump ahead into Matthew 23 to see what's going on here. Um, Jesus is openly here in Matthew 23 that we're about to read openly and publicly pronouncing woes upon the Pharisees and the scribes. Okay? Look what he says about swearing in Matthew 23. We're going to read verses 16 through 22. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Jesus was pretty hard on these guys. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, 
For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. But I say to you... Oh, sorry, jumped ahead. We're done there. Sorry. Whoever swears by by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Okay, so if you look at this... What they were teaching and what they were doing, they were picking and choosing when it's okay to keep a vow and when it's okay not to. They were kind of crossing their fingers, right? Swearing by the temple, no big deal. So if you wanted to make a vow that you knew you were going to break, I swear by the temple. I'll be there at 4 o'clock. You get there at 428, well, I swore by the temple. Oh, okay, okay, I see what you're doing there. You had your fingers crossed. Swearing by the altar, no big deal. But if you swear by the gold of the temple or the gift that's on the altar, well, that matters. So they were picking and choosing when they could keep their vows and when it was okay to break vows. So if you swear by the gold of the temple or the gift that's on the altar, that's binding. So they were making provisions to have options to lie. It's exactly what they were doing. They were crossing their fingers, not crossing their heart, not hoping to die, not asking people to stick a needle in their eye if they swore by the temple. They were crossing their toes when they swore by the altar. But oh, if you swear by the gold of the temple or the gift on the altar, you were bound to it. So back in Matthew 5, Jesus was addressing them swearing in general and their teaching on that swearing. And their teaching had made it easier to swear when they wanted to, but not worry about it if they didn't want to. Now that's what the teachers of Israel were doing. So what they said was not giving the full essence of the commands that God had given on swearing an oath. God said plainly, if you make an oath, keep it or you're going to have sin. And there aren't special provisions when you want to be serious and when you don't care if you're serious. That's what the leaders and the teachers of Israel were teaching. And Jesus is addressing that here back in Matthew 5. So what should be done? What should not be done? We're going to read verses 34 through 36. But I say to you, back in our passage today, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, For it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So, remember, the original words and teachings of God were not against swearing at all. So, verse 34 says in Jesus' authoritative voice, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. So, what's the deal? The author of the law is saying, don't take an oath at all, right? No, that's not what he's saying. He doesn't end his statement there. He then begins to look at the different provisions they had made. He's saying, don't take an oath at all that is specified in their funky interpretations by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or by your head. He's addressing their frivolous, continual use of all these specified vows. He's saying, don't make these specified vows. I swear by my head. I swear by Jerusalem. I swear by heaven. I swear by earth. He's saying, don't swear at all like that. So that one little statement, do not take an oath at all, fits into the bigger context of these three verses. And what he's saying here is ultimately all of your vows are before God. 
I don't care if it's by your head or by Jerusalem or by heaven or by earth or by the altar or the gold of the altar or the gift on the altar. Ultimately, you are making a vow and you're making it to God. So all your little special vows, don't do it. Don't give yourself a way out of telling the truth. Don't make yourself a way out of keeping your vow or doing what you swore you were going to do. They may say swearing by heaven wasn't binding or swearing by the earth or your head wasn't binding because, I mean, heaven, earth, your head. These things aren't God and they can't really hold you accountable. Heaven can't hold you accountable. The earth can't hold you accountable. Your head can't hold you accountable. But Jesus says differently. John Stott puts it this way. However hard you try, Jesus said, you cannot avoid some reference to God. For the whole world is God's world, and you cannot eliminate Him from any of it. If you vow by heaven, it's God's throne. If by earth, it's His footstool. If by Jerusalem, it's His city, the city of the great King. If you swear by your head, it is indeed yours in the sense that it's nobody else's, and yet it is God's creation and under God's control. You cannot even change the natural color of a single hair, black in youth and white in old age. End of quote. Stop's right on here. Jesus takes their selfish focus off of what they can get by with, thinking that they can avert God's gaze from their vows, or we won't care about this. And Jesus puts their focus back where the focus of the law was all along, which is on God. Heaven can't hold you accountable, but heaven is God's throne. The earth is just the earth, you say, but it's God's footstool. Your head, well, who swears by their head anyway? I swear by my head. Stick a needle in my head. I don't know. <laughs> I swear on my head. But anyway, you may think it's not a big deal to break an oath made on your head, but ultimately your head is not in your control. You can't even make one hair black or white. You say, well, I've done that before. I've dyed my hair. That's not what it's saying, okay? The Clairol vow does not count, okay? <laughs> you were created... With hair. Who did that? God did that. God is the author of life. And if your hair is white, God did that. If your hair is black, God did that. If it's purple and pink like they're doing nowadays, you did that. I don't know what's going on there. I see people with all kinds of... This is weird, y'all. Green and pink and blue and purple. They're like, I got my hair did. I'm like, I can tell. Now, if you got pink or purple, that's a... I don't get it. I mean, obviously... Stick a needle in my eye. I don't get it. (laughs) But God created your hair. And God chose to create your hair black, white, yellow, whatever. So you don't have ultimate control of that. Flesh tone. Steve and I have flesh tone hair. (laughs) He does. He does think. Blessed be his name. (laughs) So you were created with the hair you were created with by God. So your efforts to avoid calling God into your vow all fall woefully short because God is the source of all things and all things are through Him and for Him, Romans 11 says. So who are you, O man, to pick and choose when you have to be honest or when you can be deceitful? Your whole life is lived coram deo, in the face of God, in the presence of God. And he sees your deceit and your dishonesty. And it's to him that you will give an account. Regardless of what color your hair is. Not heaven. 
not earth, not the gold of the temple, not the gift of the altar, not even your head will ultimately judge you. But I promise you, God will. So all your vows are before Him. All your words are before Him. More on that in application. But for now, let's look at our last verse. Verse 37. This is, this is so powerful. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So you want to know the full thrust of what it means to avoid using frivolous, pointless, deceitful vows? Just tell the truth. The simple truth. You don't have to pinky promise and cross your heart and hope to die. Or nobody needs needles in their eyes. Okay? Just say yes or no. Become a person who consistently speaks the truth. So when someone asks you if you took the last donut or the last two donuts, you say no. Or in my case, you say yes. Yes, I did. But you don't have to give a broad, sweeping story or explanation to try to convince someone that you're really, actually, truthfully telling the truth for real, though. You just say yes or no. And people say, okay. Anything more than that comes from evil. Your efforts to explain or expand on the simplest of truths comes from a mindset on justifying yourself. Or explaining away the lie that you just told. Did you take out the trash? No, but I swear, things have just been insane here today. I was going downstairs to do it and had 28 other things come up. The phone rang. One thing right after another. I really wondered if I'd ever get it done. How about... No? Okay, will you do that now? Yes. Wow, that's so much better. So much. I don't, I don't care why you didn't do it. I knew you didn't do it. Because the milk jug I just stacked on top is in the floor now. Just tell me the truth. Simple, honest truth. The evil that all the swearing and explaining comes from is bound up in excuses and saving face. Will you be on time for your appointment? No. Should I plan on you running behind a little bit? Yes. Simple. And powerful. And so honest. Which is God's design and hope in all of this. Just tell the truth. God wants His people to tell the truth. And it really is simple to do. Now let me say this. If you make a vow, keep it. Because who's going to judge you for not keeping that vow? God is. I would say you really don't need to make many vows. If your yes is yes and your no is no. <coughs> right. Anything outside of yes or no becomes unexpected. And people go, that was weird. He usually just says yes or no. God wants his people. He wants people everywhere. But he wants his people specifically to tell the truth. When we make it complicated, we tend to wander toward evil. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this comes from evil. That would be a really good memory verse, by the way. So we kind of moved through the passage pretty quick because there's a lot of application here. 
a lot of application. So let's look at that. But before we look at application, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to think about this. What's your initial gut reaction to this question? Is this really a big deal? Does this issue of swearing and oaths and vows and truth, does it really matter? I mean, because everybody's doing it, right? Everybody's kind of doing what they need to do to say what they need to say to get what they want. So is this really a big deal? Kids, if you tell a little white lie, does it really matter? I mean, it saved you spanking. Husbands, wives, I don't want to hear the lecture I'm going to get if I tell the truth. So I just, I won't. Is it really a big deal? It's not going to matter if she knows. It's not going to matter if he knows. Is this really a big deal? Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. There may be those who ask us, is it profitable for us, confronted as we are by vast problems in the modern world, to be considering this simple matter of our speech and how we should be speaking to one another? He goes on to say the answer, according to the New Testament, is that everything that a Christian does is most important because of what he is and because of his effect on others. I'm going to read that again. The answer, according to the New Testament, is that everything that a Christian does is most important because of what he is and because of his effect on others. Every word you speak is important because of what you are, Christian, and because of its effect on other people. Everything that a Christian does is most important because of what he is and because of his effects on others. It's huge. Do you realize, Christian, that everything you do is important because you represent the king of the universe? Do you realize that as his ambassadors here in this time and place, you and all that you do and say matters? Even, or I would say especially, what you say. Images forth God to a watching and listening world. May it never be said of you, Christian, I can't believe a word he says. Or I'm always suspect of what she's saying because she lies all the time. Is that a representation of the way, the truth, and the life? And listen, this, I said this a couple Wednesdays ago. If at any point in this Sermon on the Mount stuff especially, you think, well, this part's not for me, you've missed the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Pharisees and the scribes would excuse themselves and say, well, I, I, I never killed anybody. And Jesus said, and you're angry with your brother right now. You hate me right now. If you think this doesn't apply to you, or, oh, I've got this piece figured out, <laughs> you're missing the point. So whether you tell the truth or keep your vows matters greatly. Are you known as a person of truth or are people suspect of what you are or are not saying? What you are or are not doing? What about your business dealings? Are you forthright in all of your dealings instead of trying to get away with something hoping that nobody finds out? Well, let's look at how we should speak the truth. Three Ps this morning. 
And I don't know if they'll communicate with you, but I'm real happy with them. Okay. How should we speak the truth? Three P's. Pithily. See, y'all like it too, right? P-I-T-H-I-L-Y. Pithily, purposefully, and piously. We should speak the truth pithily. That's just fun to say. Purposefully and piously. Pithily. Pith is the very essence of something. Okay? So, break it down to its most basic. Jesus said, say yes or no. What if we were that kind of people? Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Did you do this? No. Why not? Then you can give explanation if they want explanation. Did you do this? No. We'll do it. Yes. Listen to what the Bible says about this. James 5.12, echoing the words of his brother... The Apostle James says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any, by any other oath, because he's saying again the same thing Jesus said, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I really think if we're doing this, we move away from the need for oaths and swearing. Just simply, succinctly, pithily, yes, no. What Jesus emphasized in his teaching, John Stott says, was that honest men do not need to resort to oaths. It was not that they should refuse to take an oath if required by some external authority to do so. Anybody ever gone to court and had to put their hand on the Bible? There are people who will not swear because they think the biblical command is don't swear. If they tell me to swear, I'm going to swear. Hand on the Bible, raise your right hand. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Sit down. No condemnation for that. We're so scared of saying the word swear. And we're missing the point of what Jesus is saying here. If we just say yes or no in our everyday lives, not when we're called upon to take an oath, it's not a big deal. We don't have to resort to oaths. If I tell the truth consistently, if my yes means yes and my no means no, and my life backs it up... People will believe me without a need for me to elaborate or expand on it. Be simple in what you say and tell the truth. Do it pithily. Don read this this morning and I don't think he knew that I was going to read it again, but I'm going to. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God's in heaven and you're on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Man, listen to that. A fool's voice comes with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what... I wasn't supposed to say fool growing up either. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And boy, it does. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Oops. Cross my heart, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let me tell you what, the less, the less words you speak, the less chance there is that you're going to tell a lie. Seriously. 
Yes. No. No. Yes. Proverbs 10.19 says it this way. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Let me give you just a real simple application point under pithily. Just don't talk as much as you talk right now. I mean, seriously. But, man, people need to hear what I got to say. (laughs) Say yes. Say no. It's powerful. Pithily. Speak the truth pithily. The more you say, the more trouble you're going to get in. Purposefully. Now, this is where I really want to settle down for a minute. Okay? I read the quote that said, uh, Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones said, It all matters, and we see that clearly in our speech and in matters of truth. This is especially important. We're talking about speaking the truth purposefully. This is especially true within the church. Now, each man is to speak truth to his neighbor, we're going to see in a minute, and each man is to speak truth to his brother on purpose. And you have to choose to do this on purpose. If you don't choose to do it on purpose, you're going to get caught in a moment and you're going to tell a lie. I promise you. I swear you're going to. (laughs) Now, listen to this. And, and, And again, Don read this this morning too, and I'm going to reread it. And we don't get together on this. It just happens. After spending three chapters in the book of Ephesians in giving what's probably like the high Sierras of theological thought in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. You are in Christ. You're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. I mean, you're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. Ephesians 1 through 3 is some of the highest, maybe the highest doctrine in the Bible. And then you get into chapters 4 through 6, which is just like Paul to divide his letters up, half doctrine, half application, half life. Listen to what he says real quickly in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 first. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You want to build this church up? You want to equip and mobilize the saints? What do you do? You speak the truth in love. Speak truth. Not just the Bible. You tell each other the truth. And when you do that, we grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Who is the truth? 425 says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Paul is saying in Ephesians 4, after telling us that we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies and that God's going to hold us up to show the manifold wisdom of His plan to rulers and authorities, and after we see that we're saved by grace, he says, tell the truth to each other. Make it the point of your life to speak truth. Do it on purpose. And then you're going to build each other up toward the head, which is Christ. This is a big deal. And you're all liars. And so am I. So we have to purposefully choose 
to speak truth. Colossians 3. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. Do not lie to each other. You've got to make that decision beforehand. It's like a wedding vow. No matter what happens, I'm not going to leave you. No matter what happens, I'm not going to lie to you. You have to purposefully choose that. Because it's easy to lie, y'all. It's easy to not tell the whole truth. And too many times it's our pattern and our habit. Does this sweatshirt make me look fat? Now let me say this too, and I don't have this verse up here. We are to speak the truth in love. Listen to me, and I say this as pointedly as I can say it and as purposefully as I can say it. Truth at the expense of love is mean. You say, well, I just told them the truth. Well, you said it in a way that made it not look like you loved your brother. Or you didn't need to say it. Or you just didn't need to say it. You say, well, you're saying I should say the truth. You should, and you should speak the truth in love. There's the purposeful part of it too. Listen, brother, i got to talk to you. we got some issues we got to handle. we got to talk about some things. I love you, and I want something better for you, but you're telling a lot of lies, and we need to address that. That's a whole lot different than you just lie all the time. Right? Because a lot of times we use the excuse of, well, I was just telling the truth to be a savage, to be a bully. Don't do that either. Purposefully choose to tell each other the truth and speak the truth to each other in love, knowing that you are building each other up into Christ and we're becoming more and more Christ-like and we're putting on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. I speak the truth with the goal of being more like Jesus as I speak the truth. I think it's Psalm 15. I had to cut stuff out of here. I'm going to to do it anyway. It talks about the man who can ascend the hill of the Lord. It says that he swears to his own hurt. He tells the truth even when it hurts. That's purposefully telling the truth. If I tell them the truth, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to tell them the truth. (coughs) Kids hear that specifically. I promise you're going to get in a lot less trouble for telling the truth than you will for telling a lie. I promise you. Don't lie to you folks. Don't lie to each other. Speak the truth. And lies are like a web. The more you tell, the more you get stuck in them. And then you've got to remember what lie you told to who so that you can tell the right lie to the right person. And then you tell the wrong lie to the wrong person, and then you're in bigger trouble than you were before. Purposefully choose to tell the truth. That's what people who are made in the image of Christ do, even when it hurts. And I speak the truth in love because that's what's going to help my brother. And I care more about my brother than I care about myself. Pithily, purposefully, finally, piously. Listen, the altar, the gold, the gift, the temple, Jerusalem, heaven, earth, your head. Who made it all? God made it all. Why do we speak the truth? 
because we want to please God. Ultimately, God loves truth. And if that's true, you know what else is true? God hates a lie. Listen to me say that again. God hates a lie. I did not say God hates you when you lie. But God hates a lie. Just like He hates divorce. Just like He hates adultery. Just like He hates murder. God hates a lie. It's a commandment, right? You shall not lie. You shall not bear false witness. Listen to these verses. We speak the truth piously toward God to please God. Listen to this. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. What do you think is going to be in this list, by the way? Just out of curiosity. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Twice in that list of seven things that God hates, not telling the truth is in there. God hates it! Yeah, discord among brothers. You could do that with the truth, and you can do it with a lie. Do you care what God hates? I hope you do. Zechariah 8, 16 through 17. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Now listen, we can stand and point our fingers at New York and say, you're going to kill babies up to birth? God hates that. And that's true. And God hates your lie in the same way. He hates it. He, he, he hates it. Psalm 51.6. Here you go. Behold, you, God, delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now this is more than just your words. Do you want the truth to be anchored, planted, growing in your heart? Or are you going, well, maybe I can skate through this one and not say anything. There's those things we don't say that are deceptive. In my heart, I can't not say it because then I'm condemning myself. And God sees the secret place. God knows the secret place and He hates the lie in your heart as much as He hates the lie that comes out of your lips. And this has to do with every area of your life. Down to heart level. Are you a person who is adamant about the truth? Because God is. Are you a person who hates a lie? Because God hates a lie. Are you a person who wants the very heart of your being to be about the truth? Because that's what God delights in. We saw what He hated. He delights in truth in the inward being. It's a heart issue. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks.
if there's lies in your heart, lies are going to come out of your mouth. And if I love God and I get to the end of my day and I can say, God, I did everything in your power, we'll get to that in a second, to speak the truth today. And God, I want to speak the truth. Please help me to be a man who speaks the truth because you love truth and you hate a lie. And I want to please you down in my heart. That's what it means to speak the truth piously. Because ultimately, it's all about God. I want to end today with another Matthew passage. And I want to ask you this question. We, we sang this morning over and over again. God, I can trust you. God, you're faithful. Great is your faithfulness. Let me ask you this question. Everybody sitting in here, whether you know the Lord or whether you don't know the Lord, whether you're saved or whether you're lost, whether you're born again or you're dead in your sins. What if God was a liar? What if he said, in order to be saved, you've got to place your faith in my son. And you're saved by grace through faith. You need to admit that you're a sinner and that you need salvation. And that salvation comes when you trust in Jesus who lived a perfect life and then took your sins upon himself on the cross and I punished your sins on the cross. And if you'll place your faith in Him that He did live and that He did die and that He was raised and that He did ascend and that He's sitting at my right hand forever to intercede for you, if you'll place your trust in Him, you'll be saved. And you do that. And then you go stand before Him and He's like, I was lying. I was lying. I had my fingers crossed. I didn't ask you to stick a needle in my eye. What if God was a liar? We would have zero hope. But God's not a liar. Trust you, Jesus. Trust you, Jesus. Trust you with my life. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God's not a liar. And old news, you are a liar. I'm a liar but I can place my faith in Him and trust Him to do what only He can do. And that is to transform me and make me more and more like Jesus down to heart level so that my words, the things I say, and the things I do match up. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be. This is pretty important. And since God, who cannot lie, said it when He was in the flesh, let me tell you what, if you're placing your faith and your hope and your ability to tell the truth, you will spend eternity in hell. But if you place your faith in a faithful, true God who transforms the inner desires of your heart, 
so that you want to speak the truth in love, then your fruit's going to be good. You cannot produce good fruit in and of yourself. You cannot tell the truth in and of yourself. You say, well, sure I can. Not truth that leads to fruit that glorifies God. You are self-bent. You are self-looking. You are focused in on yourself so much. If you don't know Jesus... But if you trust Him, your words are going to be true words because He is working in you and through you to produce His life to bring Himself glory. This is not about you trying harder to tell the truth. This is about trusting Him to do what only He can do. If I want to tell the truth, who better to go to than the truth? This morning, if you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus, and you're like, well, I'll just tell the truth then. You, you can't. You can't tell the truth any more than you can save yourself. But He can. And the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to push you to Jesus, who kept these things perfectly. Jesus, who never told a lie. Jesus, who never broke an oath. Jesus, who made your head and the altar and heaven. And earth. Place your faith in Him. And Christian, tell the truth. In the power of the Spirit of God. When you get in a pickle and you think you need to lie, God, help me to tell the truth here. Help me to swear to my own hurt because you desire truth in the inmost being. This is about trusting Jesus. And his ability to do what you can't do, whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, run to Jesus and trust him and watch what the truth does in and through you. Let's pray. God, we proclaim again now what we've proclaimed this whole time together. You are faithful. You are true. And God left to ourselves... We are sinful. We are selfish. We are liars. And you've made a way for us to become like you. If we will trust you, Jesus. Trust you with our lives. Trust you with our words. Trust you with our hearts. Holy Spirit, convict us all of our need to speak the truth in love. Convict us all of our need to seek truth in the inmost being. And God, again, I ask if there be somebody here who does not know the way of salvation, which is Jesus Christ, convict them of their sins and show them the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus to make them clean in your eyes through faith in Christ. God, help us our yes to be yes and our no to be no. And I pray that you would be glorified through that process. And we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. 
He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stay neat with us if you can.